Season 2, Episode 5, What's in a Name? Today we're going to be talking about board game names. So joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Hi, Nathan, and hi, everyone. Gaming news alert. <laughs> Gen Con was announced with postponed dates, dates that are later in the year that than it normally is. But how do you feel about that? So... First of all, confusion, meaning that I was kind of looking forward to to having Jankon, uh, the August Jankon. Jankon is usually the first few days of August as my anchor point for life getting back to normal. <laughs> and I was prepared to the eventuality of it being canceled, the possibility of it being canceled and would have been very sad. Mm-hmm. But now I'm a little thrown off. On a personal level, because I work in September um, and I don't work during the summer. I I teach, so during the summer I am off work and that makes it easier. And it's particularly bad in September because even if I decided to cancel a class, my students would probably understand, but not uh, if I tell them that it's for a gaming convention and not (laughs) in the second week of of classes. Right. the other thing more more serious that I'm curious about, uh, not on a personal level, is how that will impact uh, release schedules and things like that, mm-hmm. um, getting closer and closer to Essen. Because normally the summer is when all of the games get published at Gen Con, and then you have three full months basically before Essen. Yeah, but this way is a month and enough. So I'm curious about that too. Yeah, it sounds like uh, publishers will have to choose more or less which convention they want to have their focus on. For me, um, it doesn't really matter as far as like timing, uh, not to the extent that it matters for you. But I am hopeful. The first, my first reaction was yes. <laughs> Gen Con. Uh, and then my second reaction was, oh, so many people. <laughs> so many people. As you know, I am optimist, uh, despite the fact that I am not vaccinated yet. But I have always been, since the discussion became about vaccines, I have always been optimist about about our perspective as as Americans, uh, human race. I, I obviously was not happy with how the response was, but the vaccine plan sounded solid. Uh, the thing is, I foresee a lot of unpleasantness with how it will be managed because they are not being very clear. So they have announced limited capacity, but without exactly saying how many and how and why and how it will mm-hmm. be, which is not necessarily their fault, right? A lot is with the fact that they don't know what the rules will be in it's September. A very fluid, yeah, it's a very fluid situation. But I see a lot of frustration coming, not only for people who will not be able to get a badge and not because they will wait until, I don't know, months afterwards, I think the badges will, will be sold out uh, early because they will probably be off than they usually are and with a pent-up demand. Um, but also, I already see people saying, well, will it be worth it if you cannot uh, touch a game or you cannot? 
And I think if that were the case, the problem is not just that you cannot have uh, a demo as immersive as you would. If you can, if we are in the situation where you cannot touch an item, um, it's going to be very tricky to make anything with that many people work. Yeah. So it's not just I cannot have a full demo, is I cannot touch a box. Uh, board games are tactile in nature. So uh, that that worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they were talking. Um, did you answer the survey that they had sent out? No, because I wasn't registered for, for last year. I had waited and they basically canceled it before I got my, or they started talking about canceling it before I got my ticket. So I never got the survey. Yeah, so it was pretty interesting to see like the questions that they were asking. It was like, should we require everyone to be vaccinated that that comes to the convention or should we um if we put you know these barriers in place or these you know different things in place will you feel comfortable enough to come um at that time i was not yet fully vaccinated i am currently but um at that time I was not. So I was like, I need everything. Like I need, (laughs) I need hand sanitizer stations and limited capacity. And I want everyone vaccinated and I want, and now that I'm fully vaccinated, not that my opinion on it has changed, but I feel like the majority of people that will want to go will also want to be fully vaccinated before going. I feel like that might be the case. It may not, but I don't know. I might have a very northeastern view. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> so I'm 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 optimistic that you know we're gonna everybody's gonna try and get on board with the vaccine without getting too political about it. You know, I I just want to say like, you know, I hope that everyone is safe and everyone is you know doing well and that um, this podcast finds you in good spirits and. we hope that you know conventions start again when they're safe and uh i just i'm ready for returning to gen con (laughs) yes they also announced that my my local convention the one that i look forward the most of the local ones uh yeah it's coming back in november which is their regular scheduled time they will be requiring uh vaccination but to me, despite being not vaccinated, I strongly supported, especially for things that are as far in the future where whoever wants to um, can. Uh, I would have been frustrated if like they said, we're having a special convention in April just for vaccinated people. That would have been very harsh because <laughs> the reason I'm not vaccinated is not that I don't want to. But in general, I'm happy to, to see that people are at least trying to plan for a return, if not to normality, but to communal life. And sure, there might be snafus and maybe something happens and, well, I hope not, but one of these events needs to be moved or changed because some rules are still in place and things like that. But at least the not laying down and saying, okay, we'll never do anything social ever again. we're trying to find a way forward. And for example, some people were saying, well, they should have tried and, and kept it in August and maybe it was possible. Sh- sure, but do what you need to do. Just 
try to plan, right? And I do understand that planning and moving things like this is complicated, uh, but yeah. Especially for a convention as big as Gen Con, where they have to coordinate not only with like law enforcement, because they have to block off a street for the food trucks and things. They have to work with the convention center, obviously. They have to work with Lucas Oil Stadium, which it didn't have to in the past, but now it does. Um, they have to work with the hotels. So I guess what we're trying to say here at the Board Game Gambit podcast is this has a lot of moving parts. And if everyone could just try and be as positive as possible and um, know that, you know, they're working on this to try and bring back gaming and something enjoyable. Yes, it makes money for them, but it it is, you know, something that they are working towards to just bring some sort of happiness to your life. So don't, you know, don't be too negative about it online. Try and, you know, be supportive of the people who are trying to help revitalize our hobby and conventions. And on this uh, inspiring note about... <laughs> Not have negativity on the internet. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> okay. Vibes only. <laughs> I'm I'm happy that the weather is turning better. But contrary to normally brained people, that makes me want to go for a walk, but doesn't make me want to play board games inside any less. Mm. So, what have you played? Oh, I forgot that we talk about that. So there are these things called board games. Um, you play play them on a table. Um, some people call them tabletop games. I, I can start if you want. Uh, oh, no, I remember now. Okay. I sent, I sent it to you uh, on Mars. Oh, yes. Let's talk Mars. about that. Let's talk about on Mars. So firstly, um, Scott was not feeling on Mars that day as it is a longer game. And also a much heavier game than he's used to. Uh, Board Game Geek rates it a 4.63 out of 5 for heaviness or uh, for weight. So it is it is intense. Um, probably the heaviest game that I own. Uh, so it is from uh, Vital Lacerda with artist Ian O'Toole from Eagle Griffin Games. So... Um, inevitably, it became a solo game. Um, having not touched it since last January, obviously, I've learned some new games since then, just a few. Um, <laughs> so uh, I needed to like refresh on the rules, and then I needed to learn the whole solo mode. And um, I will say the solo mode is not intuitive at all. Because you flip a, a solo deck and the uh, card just has action one or action three. It literally says action and a number. And then you have to go to a book. And if the solo person's meeple is on Mars or in orbit, that will dictate what action he does. So every single round that he played, I had to go to a book. Every single time. And it was very procedural and I had to figure out how to do it. But I really wanted to play on Mars again. So I really wanted to get, you know, especially if, you know, you and I will be playing it in the in the future, I wanted to, you know, get 
another play of it under my belt to just refresh the rules for myself. It took about four hours, which is crazy, but that does include relearning the rules, punching the whole thing out, setting the whole thing up for two players, um, and takedown. Oh, okay, so it wasn't even punched out. No. Okay. Because the last time I had played someone else's copy. Uh, so so... It, it's basically a murder thriller rather than a horror movie. Okay, <laughs> you, you moved it down one, one step in my, yes. my scale of personal horror. So, dear listeners, uh, I received this, this beautiful picture of Omar's um, on the table, and then another <laughs> picture that says, four hours later... And the board is a little more busy. There are stuff going on. <laughs> and I'm already a little, a little, well, uh, off, off put, right? It's like, oh, four hours. Oh, okay, a little long. And then another text comes with just one word, solo. And I'm like, oh, my, that, that, that sounds painful. Uh, but, but the game still looks very nice. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I didn't enjoy this playthrough of it as much as I did with another player because it took me out of it every time I had to go and use the solo deck and figure out what action he was doing and where he was doing it and all that. So it felt very procedural. So it was a little frustrating for me. Um, but I, I do like it still. I can imagine. I... Uh... Recently, yesterday, um, it was like I usually don't play games solo because I, I feel guilty. I always, every time I end up playing something solo, I said, Oh, I could have read or worked or done something else. But yesterday, it was Friday night, it was uh, 7 p.m. I was done uh, with work and I didn't want to, to read or do anything more. And so I set up uh, Last Ruins of Arnak solo, oh. which it's at the opposite end. It, it flows very, very fast, very light. It's super simple to activate the, the solo bot, say. It was also very simple to beat. Uh, you can scale the difficulty. I was playing on the very easiest uh, difficulty. Um, it seems to be so non-interactive, though. It, it takes out a few spots that becomes, you are basically playing Lost Ruins of Arnak with some constraints, which I think, though, you, you might like because you often tell me that you don't like over overactive bots. And so it's interesting. It restricts your, your playing space. Like the bot will take certain action in certain variable order. So you know that he is competing for research and competing for worker placement and competing for uh, um, items and artifact buys. You don't know the order. Okay. So you can try and prioritize, or you can go, well, I'll, I'll do this. Uh, there is an, ex an expansion, a printable thing out uh, there that also gives him some objective so you can interfere with its objective. But I didn't have that. I just played with the solo mode as it came out of the box. It was, I guess, more pleasant than I expected. Mm -hmm. I still feel when I'm done with games that I play solo that are not designed for it, like co-ops or things like that, I probably would have been better off um, reading a book or, or playing something on, on Steam. Um, but I had been in front of the computer or on books the entire day. 
but it was interesting, and I, I really like Lost Ruins of Arnak. We had played it another time a week or so ago, but Anna got frustrated midway, and so she just uh, gave it to me, and uh, we we, claimed, we called it in the third round. I am excited. There is an expansion on the horizon for, as I said, it's my favorite game that came out in 2020, and mm-hmm. I I keep keep liking it. It's it's beautiful. It's fast. I really like it. I didn't even know there was an expansion coming. It came from CG, so I know it's it's true that they're working on it. There is a thread on BGG, but is not not doesn't have a release date or anything like that yet. Okay, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> anything else that you played? Yes. So last week, last 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 time we recorded, I actually started explaining that, and then we got into uh, technological schnafus, and so it didn't make it into the into the podcast. So I got this new game called Miawi, which I must say I got mostly because the name was fun and it was super cheap on Amazon. Uh, it's by Bruno Faidutti, who's uh, an illustrious designer with whom I have a complicated relationship, to say the least, uh, meaning there are a lot of games that sound interesting but then end up not being my my thing, and by artist Paul Mafayon for Zeman Games in, in the US. And uh, it's Miawi. <laughs> it's this tropical island inhabited only by cats. And so... Uh, all of the, the illustration of this is about, yeah, there is the the fat cat and the bulky cat and the sexy cat, and then they are all dressed in island clothes. I always have a weird time when there are uh, characters that are supposed to be the sexy one in games about potatoes or animals. <laughs> Even more, leaving aside all of the problems with it, but it's also a little strange. But anyhow, the game is you have... 12 cards from 1 to 12 in your suit. So everyone has a deck that is exactly the same from 1 to 12. And on your turn, all you do is choosing one, placing it face down in front of you, and then everyone reveals them simultaneously. And what you are doing is you are competing for three booms, three prizes that are in the middle of the table. And one of them will go to the player who plays the highest card, one to the second highest, and one to the lowest. So you you want to play it with at least four players. It technically says three plus. Uh, with four, it was fine. I imagine it would be even more fun with five or six. And there is a tiebreaker, very simple. There is a totem. And if you are to the right of the totem, you're considered to be higher than anyone else. And so you win ties for higher. If you are to the left of the totem, you are the lowest and you win ties for the lowest. And you are collecting fish that are worth from one to 10. But there are also some jellyfish that are worth in minus 10 or minus 15, and which are rarer, and um, seagulls that eliminate the last card that you have taken. So there are always interesting things that you want, because sometimes you want the points, sometimes you want to avoid the negative points, and sometimes you want the seagull because you have gotten a jellyfish and you want the seagull to eat it and get rid of it for you. And sometimes instead you have something good, Uh, and you don't want the seagull. Sometimes you have something very little, like one or two points on top of your pile, so you don't care for the seagull. And it's interesting because it's all predicated on what other people do. So if you play a 12, 
you might have wasted it because maybe everyone else plays a six and you could have played a seven and gotten what you wanted. And also you the 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 tricky part is that you cannot really plan ahead much because in, in any given game, I don't know whether at the end I want to have high card or not, uh, because it depends how they come out. But it's interesting, it's simple, it's very quick. So quick in explanation that we got one of our players confused. Rachel had gotten distracted with her phone or something. And midway through the game, she was basically playing a different game. And, <laughs> and we had this, well, but what did you think we were doing that we were collecting the fish? And she was, I was a little confused why you were taking the fish. Like, so you had just assumed we were cheating, basically. And she didn't say, yes, I assumed that you were all cheating, but she strongly implied no it's actually a very simple game it reminded me of an old game called raj r-a-j which i liked a lot it's even simpler than that it has cards from 1 to 15 and prizes from minus 5 to 10 the fun thing about raj um, which i would like to play again at some point i don't own it but it's very easy to 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 make with any deck of cards is that it doesn't have tiebreakers, so if you and I play a 15, the highest card we have for something, we eliminate each other and the next highest card gets it. So, um, But this is simple, it's a good family game, yeah, you have no problem playing it, learning it, teaching it. It's cute, the images are nice, it is about cats, that for some people it's a big thing, for me it's neither a plus or nor a minus. <laughs> I know that there are dog people who don't want to play games with cats. I, I'm not. I'm I'm fine playing with animals. Uh, I like more exotic animals like capybaras and yaks and hippopotamuses. Um, but car- cats are fine. And I got the, the fat cat and I was very happy with it. So that game sounds like a simpler version of like, have you, I think I made you play Felicity, the cat in the sack. Yes, yes. Because you have you have the standard, you all have the same number of cards, um, but then you're like putting things into the sack, so you have a little more control over stuff, um, and then you're revealing them, and sometimes the dog will come and chase them away, or what have you. So it sounds to me like that... Um, I like the simplicity, though. Yeah. In games like these, I like the immediacy to the point that I this is much better visually and a little more intriguing. But as I was saying, Raj, which is even simpler than this, this almost made me want to try Raj again, right? Because there is something about the just reveal a card and get whatever you want, whatever you are due, that makes it interesting. This is the, the one thing that I like about this is that you are... When you're trying to go for the high card, it's relatively straightforward. But it's interesting when you don't want to compete that turn. So, okay, do I want to go for the second card? Do I want to go for the lowest? And if one of them is dangerous, do I want to make sure that I don't get it? Or will I risk it and I'll go at two knowing that if I don't get the lowest and I get the second highest instead, the second highest is negative for me. So there is that balance which gets interesting. Um, to the point that I, it will be more dynamic with 506, I'm sure. But I wonder if that fact that almost everyone gets something with, with 4 makes it uh, even more tricky because you are always that close to getting something, whether it's positive or negative. 
I don't think I played anything else. It's been a busy week for me. I did. I tried uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom finally. Nice. I like it. Uh, I don't know if I like it more than the others in the series. Okay. But that that series, both in a strict sense, Architects and Paladins, or in larger sense, including Raiders of the North Sea, is one of my favorite. So that doesn't uh, say much. I think after one play, it is my fourth favorite out of those four. But I can see it going up, and it was very... I mean, there was nothing that I disliked about the game. It's just that I like the others a lot. It's probably there with Paladins. I probably like Raiders and Architects a little bit more. This Council of West Kingdom, it's a big game. I'm not going to repeat all of the rules here. But basically, on your turn, you play a card, and one card slides off your tableau of three. So you are using cards for... Some have powers when you play them, some have ongoing powers, some have powers when they fall off, and all of them have icons. You use the icons to do a multiplicity of uh, of um, actions. Actually, each icon helps you do one action, uh, plus there is a wild criminal icon that is dangerous for other reasons that can give you negative points, and you move around the board so you want to reach the point where you 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 are you want to perform your action use your icons you can boost with with resources and you can uh, build buildings that give you bonuses and give you ongoing bonuses when you do actions you can recruit new people which is not an action but it's fine uh, you can get resources by trading you can um transcribe manuscripts, which is basically a set collection plus a little effect when you do it. And you can compete for the castle, which is a central, not really an area control, but you're dealing with where your people are. It was very interesting. Uh, Rachel smoked us. Uh, It was a great game, Um, very dynamic. It I think it was long time-wise with four, but I don't even remember, which means it moved very quickly. And I know that I'm generally hesitant. It's very easy for for a game for me to overstay its welcome, especially when you play a Euro with four or five players. This, again, I don't think it was particularly short clockwise, um, but it, it felt quick. Uh, is one of those games where each turn is relatively simple. Play a card, move, and do your thing. There is a little bit of um, maintenance at the end of your turn. There are certain situations in which you have two tracks of corruption and sanctity, a virtue and corruption. And if they meet, some things happen, but it's very automated. So you just resolve it and move forward. I like it. Uh, the end comes a little sudden, um, but you, I mean, not rule wise, you know that it's coming, right. but it can feel a little sudden. Um, everyone was, oh, I was planning on doing that, com- including the people who, who won, not the person who won, Rachel and, and everyone else. But I like it, I like it quite a bit. And what it's, strategy uh, did you go for? I did buildings early, which went very well, mm-hmm. and those were my points. And then instead of pivoting to the castle, I decided to pivot to manuscripts. And that proved a mistake because I wasn't able to collect enough. And um, that was my mistake. Uh, and it's by Shem Phillips and Shem Mac- Sam McDonald, I think, uh, for Graphic Games. And the art is by the Miko. 
I remember what I played. I played in the year of the dragon. Ooh, old old school Feld. <laughs> so yes, I, so that is by Stefan Feld from Aaliyah or Ravensburger, depending on the version you have. It is a mean game. <laughs> I have opinions about that. Okay. But... So um, in the game, basically, you have a set of person cards and you're choosing an action. You set out um, the action cards and you separate them into the number of groups that there are players. So if you're playing with two people, it's two separate groups. And um, you are placing your little like dragon on the action that you're going to take. And then the other person can take from the, the section that you chose, but they have to pay. And it's just so mean. It is, it is one of the meanest games I think I've played of his, um, if not the meanest. And mm, no, you know what's meaner to me in my mind? Only because I'm bad at it, Aquasphere. Scandal. <laughs> Aquasphere is nice and cute and sweet and welcoming. And mean when Jackie makes all the octopi appear and and <laughs> and makes me get negative, 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 negative points. <laughs> Disclaimer, there is no action in the game that lets me make octopi appear. But uh, let's go back to, to, to this perceived mean game of Mirror in the Dragon. Um, so basically there's just lots of ways that the people so you're you are building little palaces they can be up to the level three and based on the level you can put a certain number of um people in them one per floor that is in there um if you don't have people in it like it's it's if you don't plan negative things happen that's basically the the summary of the game if you don't plan to have someone in in the palace by the end of the round um it the palace degrades and you lose a floor if you don't have and then there are actions that <laughs> that are mean all, all of them mean except for i think the fireworks one and the two ones in the beginning that are just nothing happens um but the fireworks one you get points based on the number of fireworks you have there's um I forgot what they're called specifically, but basically like a, a famine one or um, where you have to feed the people. And if you don't, the people leave. You have to uh, have a doctor symbol like um, to make sure that the outbreak or whatever, that you have enough symbols of that. So if not, the people leave. And it's just basically people leave the game and uh, <laughs> negative things will happen and you always have to pay the game. Um, I loved it. <laughs> Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, I, the first playthrough I played of it, cause I'd never played it before. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And the person smoked me, like completely smoked me. I played it online. Um, and they completely smoked me. I had like maybe like 20 something points and the other person had like 50 something points. And I was like, Oh and then, interestingly enough, he went back, the other person went back online and went to go play it again, probably because I gave such a poor <laughs> showing that he was like, that wasn't, I was handed the win, basically. So then I, like, re-looked at the rules, 
and made sure I knew what each little tile for the events were because you didn't really, it wasn't really explicitly shown on okay. the interface. And then I was like, you know what? Would you play this again? I said, that was my first game of it. They were like, sure. And I actually won by two points. So yeah, it went from like 20 something points, to like 42 or something. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I just didn't know what the things did. So I have good memories of it, and I actually kind of regret uh, when the 10-year anniversary edition came out, it wasn't a great success, and it went cheap very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I did grab a copy because Anna didn't love it when we played it, and also we it was in a moment in which I was trying to not be foolish and not accumulate games, and that good intention has gone out the window. Mm-hmm. Um I remember liking it. It's actually my tier tier three of fell. So not the I will never get rid of this. Not the I really really like them, but games that I like that I, I not just that. Yes, I will play it if you want. Uh, I have a five tier system for fell, um, <laughs> and I actually never felt it that punishing. Meaning that since everything is making you lose people and points. It's not that one thing that punishes you. It's just that instead of gaining stuff, you lose stuff in this game. Uh, so, sure, you're constantly losing people. But since you use the people just for, for that, is as if you have scoring opportunities every turn that some you take and some you don't. Um, and once I, I, I <laughs> approached it like that, it was just like other felt right at the end of the turn do you have stuff to score or and psychologically is different i i understand that but it doesn't make that much a decision because it's a straight up you know what's happening and you know exactly what the result is and the result works with the action so it's you have to recoup the penalty that you have suffered i feel that there are other games where you cannot do certain things and that can be punishing. I'm thinking, for example, in Anachrony, if you cannot power up your your suits, that limits your, your options going forward. Or World Without End, if you don't have a gold or grains or fate, something bad happens, like you have to choose a card randomly, or you don't get the action, or uh, you cannot take a bonus. And so those feel a little more punishing for me, even if the amount of stuff is less punishing. Here, with the fact that it's a straightforward, okay, this turn, do you have it or not? If not, lose a few things. Here, do you have it or not? If not, lose a few things. And so you keep replenishing, basically, this. It's not a track, it's a pool, but you keep going back and forth on this, how much I have. And so to me, that's that's fine. I actually find it less deep than other felt, mainly because the choice space is a little limited. On your turn, you have a very simple, not simple choice, but you have a small uh, choice space. You have to choose one of these things. and um, But that also makes it relatively quick for what it is. It makes it easier to explain. Um, once you read the rules, it makes it uh, quite clear. Um, so... I, I I have good memories of it. It has been a while, though, since I played it. So, I will say, only played it at two. Mm-hmm. 
So I think in that regard, it makes it feel even more punishing because if you are losing something every turn or every other turn and the other person's not losing those things, you're falling very far behind very quickly. Also, I like how you casually say you lose things and it's the people, the people, which are your... <laughs> yeah, but they don't do anything. That's my point. It's not like you have a worker with a special power and you lose it and now you... it's like, oh, I got three tokens and now I don't have those three tokens anymore. And sure, they are the people, but that's exactly my point. It's not, oh, you constructed this worker, even even just the die that goes up in strength like in Teotihuacan and then you lose it. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, that token that I got for this specific reason or that specific reason, I don't have anymore. And so if I lost the doctors, to the point that, are there more plagues coming? No, then this doctor can go, right? And yep. I actually, I thought I had it rated higher. I rated it a 6.5. Oh. But again, I played it in 2014. So uh, it's a long time ago. Well, maybe we will bust out my physical copy of it. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, so oh, we didn't mention what our topic would be for the day, or our, our in-depth review. I'll oh, yes, the in-depth. In-depth. <laughs> how in-depth can we get with this game? Um, the game that we wanted to focus and kind of spotlight, I guess, is a better term than in-depth review for this particular game, is Bears. And that is from Anne-Marie DeWitt with artist Justin DeWitt, and that's from Fireside Games. Um, sorry, sir. I think you mispronounced it. It's BEARS! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it <laughs> has a very prominent exclamation point, and also it makes me happy to say BEARS! Um, <laughs> As everyone who's listening to this has their ears blown up by Jackie screaming. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it's It's the tough life of, of the podcast listener. So, yeah, I this game is extremely simple to the point that, I kid you not, at one point I, I taught it in Italian to people who didn't speak Italian. You taught it to me in Italian. See, multiple people who didn't speak Italian. <laughs> you at least speak some Spanish, though, yes. which makes it a little easier. So, in the game, uh, you are supposed to be campers who are sleeping in a camp, a camping site. Otherwise, you wouldn't be campers, I guess. Um, and you are attacked by bears. So the way the game works is you have every player has five personal dice. And then there are five dice per player, which are different dice, in a communal pool. Those are rolled. And then everyone starts rolling their dice and matching their dice with the dice in the middle. The only rules are you can roll your dice as many times as you want, but you can only pair one dice at a time. And once a die is paired, you cannot touch it anymore. And the symbols that can appear in the dice in the middle are just two. Uh, Either... Oh, oh my. Either tents or uh, bears. (laughs) Uh, And on your symbols, you can have sleeping people, running people, or shooting people. So uh, you you can want to pair the shooting with the bears, which is a little sad, but that's what you do when you're attacked by bears. And you want to pair either the sleeping or the running with the tents. 
The round ends when in the middle there are no more bears nor or no more tents. When that happens, one player shouts bears and everyone stops and you count points. Each bear that you shoot gives you one point. You scare them off. However, the interesting part is that you can run from the tent, so pairing a tent with a runner, and that gives you two points no matter what. Or you can decide to sleep through the night and pair the sleeper with a tent. And if all of the uh, bears are uh, shot away, scared away, that proves to be a great choice, and you get five points. However, if the tents finish in the middle and bears are left, that proves not to be a great idea to sleep through the bear assault if there are still bears there. <laughs> and you get minus two points for each of your sleeping people. You count the points up uh, and you mark down what your score is for the turn, which goes from minus 10 to a theoretical possible of 25. Uh, and you play it again. Whoever gets to 100 wins. That's the game. <laughs> and... I find it more fun than it has any right to be. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I really, really like it. I think, so for, for me, I feel like this is also partially like linked to your happiness for escape. Yes. Like it's the frantic rolling and re-rolling, like real-time rolling of dice. I feel like that is something that has a soft spot in your heart. Yes, I like, as I said before, I like either games that are deep and complex, etc. Or I don't have a lot of tolerance for the in-between, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, if I'm not playing a Euro, I want what I'm playing to be fast and fun. Um, I like this. I like Camel Up. I like Cult Express with its chaos. I like uh, adventures. This is distilled down to... Roll the dice, be excited. Um, and obviously, I, I realize that it's part of the buying into it, right? It's uh, of the getting excited, of the deciding that you can be fun, fine with the, with the fun game. Uh, we played it often with uh, our friend Chris, who has, is now in college, but the first time we played, like he was 15 or something, and he has carried this love of the, of the game with him. Uh, it's very good at it, actually. So just to go through the motions, um, the main hook of the game is obviously rolling the dice, yeah. uh, being fast, putting pressure. One thing that is different from Escape, besides not being a cooperative, but also there is no fixed timer. So the main hook, I think, is precisely that how much I want efficiency versus how much I want to put pressure on other players. Um, because a lot of it is deciding whether you will take bears from the middle or tents. There are four tents to two bears on each die. So there tend to be more tents. Tend to be more tents. <laughs> um, but you, you, you can manipulate that a little bit because you can reroll your dice as many times as you want. So if you see someone going to sleep, you can decide, well then I will take all of the tents so that they are left with the bears and they will lose points. But if you take too long to do that, something can run out and now you don't have points. Um, and I think that's what what gets to, to, to me and to people. Yeah, I think that it's fun to 
you because you have to be very quick to recognize the patterns and recognize your combinations and that's part of the fun is is really um matching things up and once they're paired you have to leave them however they're paired and and being observant of the people around you and and seeing and and because it's such a quick game and such a fast playing game it i feel like it increases the competitiveness very high because everyone wants to do their best at this and it's so simple that you know you're like oh well i can do that i can be the best at matching symbols up on dice and then (laughs) you're actually doing it you're like oh no what 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 happened (laughs) yeah and there is this meanness which is lighthearted because the game is so fast it's like no 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 shoot the bear what are you doing you also have sleepers yeah but you have three sleepers i only have one sleeper so i will sacrifice my sleepers to the bears uh so that and there is as much joy in scoring 20 21 points in a round as when well i scored two but the other person who had a lot of points scored minus eight so i can take that which makes up i think for the rest the, the theme and components so the theme kind of makes sense in so far that shooting at the bear or running from a bear is smarter than sleeping through the night and i like that sleeping through the night is good if you don't need to care about the bears but mm-hmm. otherwise it's disastrous but it's obviously a dice game you only have these little symbols the games the dice i f- i feel are fine but no there are no champions of mega dice or sure. seasons dice they are very simple, very plain dice, but they do their, their job. There is no other components. Uh, <laughs> there are no cards, no no tableau, no board. Um, so uh, you have a, a closer relationship to dice than I have. So how do you rate <laughs> these dice in your dice-liking capabilities? Um, they're not the greatest. Um, I don't want to say like, oh, they're cheap or anything like that, but like they are custom dice. So these are dice made specifically for this game and the whole game is the dice. So, um, for that, you know, it's, there's something to be said about that, that they like made custom dice and they have, you know, very cute, uh, little like sleeping bag images on, on some of the sides or the, the runners or, um, the the ferocious bears on one side of the white dice so it's they're okay i'm not gonna say you know i've seen definitely seen worse dice um talking about you mr feld um (laughs) but i've definitely like you said i've definitely seen better dice um like a lot of better days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that for what it is and for the price point, um, you can still get a copy of this for under 20 bucks. Um, you will not be, you know, disappointed with the quality of the dice and the quality of the gameplays that you have. Mm-hmm. We talked about the pace and the arc. It's very fast. The pace is fantastic. There is no arc to be spoken of, right? No. Each, is... each round is down in one minute. Um, it's, actually, it's exactly the same as yeah. you progress, but it, it's so quick that you don't really need an arc for this game. 
Yes, because each round takes 30 seconds. Uh, and so the game is over is probably five minutes. Unless um, you have people <laughs> sitting there and trying to roll a specific thing. Um, I think that's happened in a few of our games. And we're just like, we're looking, we're like, okay, everyone else has, has the sleeping people. So you and I need to team up and we're going to get rid of just the one specific thing. We're going to get rid of the rest of the tents. We can do this. And then we just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. Everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> we're trying to sabotage you. Um, it's as replayable as this sounds to to you. Uh, so if, if you don't find... Uh, the rolling of the dice frantic even one round of it will be will be boring yes and if you like it every round is fresh because you have a new pool and a new thing and it's again not about the game it's about how you interact with the other players how fast you are and how mm. you keep an eye on what they're doing um the designer and artist uh have, she has designed a few other games uh Surprisingly, this is not the best of them, according to the GG. <laughs> Munchkin Panic is it's better, but it's just because Bears has an undeserved very low rating of 5.8 on BGG, which is a shame and a scandal, and I will investigate this further. Uh, this uh, affront will not be tolerated. Um, she also designed the Village Crone, which I've heard decent things about it, um, and expansions for bears, which, judging from the fact that it had two expansions, probably had a better result than the the ranking would suggest. There are also two editions, I think, of bears. I stumbled upon it. It was a game that I got for one dollar at an auction, uh, and in in so far as how much enjoyment I have gotten from one dollar, uh, I mean. Best dollar ever spent. <laughs> well, maybe with our yeah, not to, with time in mind, but if I focus on the fun, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, comparisons, um, escape as you mentioned, but escape is much more involved, especially because I like to play uh, escape with everything in. <laughs> And it's stressing no, out. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, and to me that that's an important part of escape. Actually, I like the the complexity of the puzzle, the fact that you have so much things to consider in such a restricted time. This sits at the opposite. So the fact that they are on the description oh, very similar uh, time real time games with dice that you can roll as many times as you want, and you're looking for certain symbols to do certain things. To me, they provide a very different uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are both frantic. I like them both. I much prefer Escape. Don't don't get me wrong. Escape is in the run for one of my favorite games. What? Um, it's for <laughs> sure in my top ten and almost definitely in my top five. Um, Bears is not close to that, but I can play as uh, Bears with almost anyone. Escape, especially at the state where our escape is and how I usually play escape, it takes some dedicated gamer for that, right? Um, To the point that I had the old escape that now sits with my sister who plays the vanilla version of escape where you only have treasures to find, curses to carry about, exit to place and illusions. 
um, and you don't have traps and time traps and ink and cal- Mayan calendars and all of that stuff. Uh, but bears, I don't have other games like that. Um, I suspect that they exist like real-time rolling dice, mm-hmm. but I don't have any other. So for me, it's that, okay, uh, let's start with bears. It will take five minutes and we, we throw down the dice, we, we have some fun, and then we can move to something more substantial. It only plays four, which is a little sad. It says that you can combine two copies of bears. Um <laughs> Uh, in in a giant game of eight players, which would be actually fun, but I'm not gonna wa- look for another for another copy of Bears, especially because now the new edition is out, and not only it's not gonna be mine for one dollar, but also I would have different shaped dice, I guess. I actually just recently bought a copy of Bears. Does it have the same dice? I haven't even opened it yet. Okay. So we, we need to figure it out. Uh, although, <laughs> given the, the state the world is in, finding the material to play with eight players is much uh, easier than having uh, the possibility yeah. to play it with eight players. So um, I feel like this would be a great uh, late-night convention game. Yes. Like, no, 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 wait. Don't go. We have one last game in us. Let's sleep through the night of bears. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I like it. I I find it fun and exciting. And I think there is also the charm of remembering what games used to be, right? Because now we take it for granted that in our hobby, when we open a, a box, I'm a little disappointed if there are less than 50 cards, uh, four different resources. <laughs> nice. Th- no, it, it's true. Yesterday when I was opening Lost Ruins of Arnak, it gave me so much pleasure, right? I have all the little boxes with the things and there are two boards and my personal board and the rival board and Mm -hmm. two three piles of cards and then obviously these tokens that go here and look the plastic resources and the the cardboard resources and and that's fine i i like it obviously otherwise i wouldn't be in this hobby but sometimes it's nice to go back to oh look dice just just roll them and grab them. And the fact that you grab them, you, you don't choose them, you don't draft them, you don't select them with a simultaneous action card. You go and grab them and oh, I wanted that die. It's 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 great. Yeah. Um so that was bears. With an exclamation point. Oh I'm sorry. Bears! Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into our topic, is there anything that you are looking forward to yes uh yes um i am this week i should receive a notification for burgo bros 2 which is basically oceans 11 the game um it's a cooperative in which you are it's the second version of a game that was called burgo bros obviously and this is set in a casino and you are trying to move around uh and it's supposed to be very fun. Uh, it has miniatures in the Kickstarter edition. It has new new art and things like that. And I look forward to it. And it's also nice because the box is made it so that uh, it's going to be on two floors. And I really like that. The other thing that I'm excited about, and I, I noticed that you are already plunged into that, is uh, we are planning to order 
upwards of 10,000 sleeves on a sleeve Kickstarter. So we have started to have multiple games where cards get shuffled quite often, mm-hmm. but they are not the main part of the components. So for example, our Seven Wonders, it's a game that I really like, is really beaten up, but it's fine. It's a card game. But with games, for example, like um, Ruins of Arnak, where you have maybe a hundred cards, possibly less, and then a lot of other things. If I get tired of the state of my Seven Wonders, I can buy a new Seven Wonders. But I wouldn't want to have to buy a new Lost Ruin of Arnak because one card is ruined or anything like that. So we started looking into sleeves. And Sleeve King is currently having a Kickstarter. And obviously, obsessed as we are, we made the mistake of going through all of our games and thinking, oh, this could need sleeves, this could need sleeves. And all of a sudden, we're sitting at a need for like 11,000 sleeves, mm-hmm. which is the, the highest level of the non-premium uh, sleeves. So if we want to go premium sleeve, it means twice the highest level. Uh, luckily, we got stimulus money. So there is... <laughs> Uh, we can make the economy strong again, and it's 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 tempting. Um, when we started, we had some games like that, and we used penny sleeves, mm-hmm. which were bad not so much for the for the thickness, but because they don't really fit any size of cards. They are slightly softer and larger, and so. The few games that we have sleeved with sleeves that someone gave us, like Nemesis and things like that, they are really, really good. So the the great thing about this Kickstarter is that they have the sizes for all of the games, and so you can get the right sleeves for the different games. My first impulse was to just buy a lot of different sleeves and hope that we had the right ones mm-hmm. but Anna took a more methodical approach um and we we now have a list of okay we need these many packs for this and these many packs for this we have a spreadsheet um oh gosh it was at least as exciting to do it than it will be exciting to buy them and i also made uh, ryan promise that he will leave all of the games <laughs> that's good because he was a magic player. So he says, oh, I can sleeve thousands of cards in two minutes. I said, should have said that. Shouldn't have said that. Yeah. But he actually liked it. We had sleeves lying around for uh, Hero Realms mm-hmm. that we need to unsleeve part and resleeve and all of that. And he, he actually had fun doing it, which blows my mind. But go Ryan, go sleeves. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's so I I actually sleeved something the other day, um, and I did it while I was watching TV. So like I just mindlessly like sleeving as I was going because I've all I was also a, a, a collectible card player, so I was used to sleeving all my stuff. And then now that I've sleeved a few of my games, I'm like, oh, I really miss having sleeved cards and the way that they shuffle and the way that they protect them and all that. So it really is an investment because as you know, I have a couple games. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I really should, you know, protect them and, you know, make sure that they stay in the best possible condition. So um yes, I backed the Slave Kings Kickstarter and I will 
go in and adjust as needed. I have not yet spreadsheeted, spreadsheet, spread, spreadsheeted. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my list of things, but um, yeah. So that. So, do you plan on getting the premium or the sixty micron? The premium. I am conflicted about that because, um, again, I know that I don't want sleeves that I don't like because, for example, we had uh, cheap sleeves and I unsleeved a few games. For example, Biblios or Hero and the Tortoise. And I decided that I preferred the, the feeling. So I definitely don't want sleeves just to have sleeves because I've noticed that um, I don't like them. Mm-hmm. But I haven't enough experience. So one of the things that we're doing... Uh, today actually Ryan is supposed to come over with sleeves of the two kinds so that we can feel it and decide because I have some games that with lighter sleeves they are fine because they fit very very nicely mm-hmm. but they have never tried actual good sleeves of the right size and so uh, the problem is that again we need upwards of 10,000 sleeves. So that's already like 160 bucks in sleeves. Um, if we go premium, we double that amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still <laughs> to the point that someone was telling me, well, you should do it game by game and just buy them when you need them. But then they cost almost twice as much already, yep. plus the shipping. And so I'm, I'm cheap. Uh, which would sound weird to anyone who stumbled upon this podcast and went, you're cheap? You just consider spending $300 uh, on plastic sleeves for cards, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm still cheap. Uh, And (laughs) I didn't say I was smart. I said I was cheap. That's very different. (laughs) And so I'm trying to consider what to do. But yeah. So, I just bought uh, Moonrakers. Moonrakers? Yeah. So, it is from... Because I backed their other Kickstarter. It is from Ivy Games. um, And that's from Austin Harrison and Max Anderson. Um, I think you're really going to like it. The The graphic design is fantastic. Yes. Their games are amazing to look at. Um, this being their, this was their first game. Um, and I didn't get in on the, the Kickstarter, so I just bought it from them. Um, and then, and then I got, I got all the sleeves. This is the game that I sleeved. So I like how you said it as if, yeah, I didn't get on the Kickstarter, so, which is unusual. I know it, it is. So, um, it's deck building where you're trying to complete contracts and you're up doing upgrades to a ship um, and you are trying to earn prestige and you can do the contracts with people and you split up the not only the rewards but also the risk. And it um, plays... You play the cards from your hand in like a Dominion-like style. You need um, actions and then there are cards that give more actions and it branches... Um, like like Dominion. Um, so what's good and new that uh, makes you want to play this rather than, say, Dominion? Um, so it's it has, like, negotiation, a negotiation aspect where you're trying mm-hmm. to um, get people to help you with the contracts to earn points. 
and it just it feels very fresh um you have crew you have crew cards which do different things um upgrades to your ship which give you like little game breaking abilities and things like that so um yeah it's it's a race and it has like this natural balance or i i haven't played it yet but it is described as a natural balance because if you're in the lead people will not probably want to help you fulfill contracts so it'll be sort of a balance in in that own regard so yeah Mm. moonrakers it's best with five okay no best with four or five okay I, I I will play this. I am again, I really like the look of it. I am not hearing anything that makes me think I will particularly love it, mm-hmm. but nothing that makes me no, I won't play that either. So and it it's again, it's strange. The art is fine, it's not bad, but it's fine. But the way the the graphic is constructed, I said graphic design, I, I'm not an expert, so I don't know if it's the right expression but the way it all comes together like if i look at the single piece of art they are fine but the the look of the cards is amazing mm-hmm. uh, i don't know yeah so i guess it's the graphic design i i don't know um and who's the designer austin harris and max anderson uh, is their first game Oh, Veil Fate is the one you, you backed that is not out yet, right? right? They have these very, very nice looking pieces, uh, nice looking work. Um, the description of the games is always a little peculiar. Um, but, well, and, and you, you got this, you said, so yes, we can play it. I have okay. it. Um, another one that is coming is Shassen, which is another Kickstarter that I missed. Um, it's a strategy board game where you are trying to get area majority and put out influence. And the thing that really sold me on it from the description was the way that you get resources. So you will, um, the person to your left will read a card and it'll give you two choices. And based on that, you have to think how um, one of four different people will answer it. And it's like the idealist, the capitalist, the, I don't remember the other ones, but, but those are the, there are four different ones. So you have to think of how that person would want to answer that. And basically you're trying to earn different um, resources to get voters. How is it spelled? S-H-A-S-N. S-H-A-S-N. Okay, here it is. Okay. So, the is this out? And the the showman. Um, it is out. It is not um available retail. So I'm actually getting a Kickstarter version of it from a board game store that I like. Uh, I don't remember where they're based out of. I'm going to look it up because I would like to give them a shout out. It is Recess Games, and they are based out of North Olmsted, Ohio. I've never heard of them, so good. Yeah, I bought a few things from them, and they have really nice... They always package everything really nice. They um, are very responsive to emails, and they ship things out really, really fast. So what more could you want? 
so yeah, Chesson is coming, and I think I think you guys will like it. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, um, I was victim um, to very aggressive Facebook ads um, for a Kickstarter that I missed. <laughs> uh, Dead Reckoning. Oh no. Oh, no. Why no? No. I didn't miss that. I I missed it. Clear of it. It has cards, clear cards leaving, which is I like that. The okay, the good for you. Mystic Veil. I um, can stand it. It feels so gimmicky to me. Uh, no, it's not me. <laughs> also, I think I'm less into pirates than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that was like I was excited for that reckoning. It looked interesting when I heard about it, and then I went look for it. And no, I don't do that. That, but the people playing it in the images look very very happy. <laughs> I like when there are play testers that look having like they're having. Plus, fun. the artist by Eno Tool. So yeah, and the publisher is AG, which I like a lot actually. Um, I ended up yeah. not getting. Maybe I can convince you to play it. I I I am happy that you backed the minion the the, the meeples thing meeples and monster thing. Mm-hmm. I ended up not backing it. Um. So. Although I might I might come back when when the plaid manager opens. And go, <laughs> like please get me one. Um, the fact that they don't have anything that is exclusive, so the game might be exclusive, but it might not be. Right, and if it's not, I feel it's because it's a bad game. Maybe I get. I think if it's a game that is successful, it will go to retail. I need. I need to believe this because my 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 gaming budget has been under pressure for the last three months, <laughs> and I, I'm happy because they I, they keep delaying delaying things like endless winter charge later than I was expected. Okay. So I oh I and I never make it. <laughs> oh, have you seen the change on the Ankh cards? No. So I'm very happy with what they're doing with Ankh. They, contrary to what Simon usually does, they use Kickstarter for what it is. So they funded the game, but they're still working on it, even with Eric Lang. Okay. So well, with this consultation, there are some developers, and they changed some of the mechanisms, and I was very happy with what they changed. But now they also changed the art on the card. They they put art on the cards. The cards are only icons. And while I'm not super thrilled with the art they put, they're still better than just just the icons. Um, and so I I'm happy that the game is getting even cooler. I'm super excited for Ankh. And they still say summer. It's still supposed to be coming in the summer. I don't plan on seeing it before September, but <laughs> but it will be it will be fun. The, all of my Kickstarters are late. I know, I know it's common, but I had been generally lucky with Kickstarters. So the fact that they are all late by months and months makes me makes me a little sad. Uh, like uh, this thing that is coming, uh, the the Burgle Bros was supposed to be last last summer and 
the Great Wall board game was supposed to be last September and is not even on the horizon yet. And Wonderland's War is was supposed to be March and now it's supposed to be May. And Ankh, Ankh is still more or less on track. So I need I need some goodies. <laughs> some shiny, shiny goodies. You can have vicarious goodies when I bring the new games. The fact that I'm not as obsessed like you are about having the, the, the Lux things doesn't mean that I don't like them, right? <laughs> so it's sure I can at least play them, but it's not like when I go, like when I, I'm sure that when I will play your dwellings of Everday, if I like the game, I will certainly not have the, oh, sure, I can buy the one with the, with the cardboard tokens right now. They are actually printing more of the fancy ones, but right now they are not available. Yeah. Um, so I hope that I kind of like it. Like, I don't want to dislike it because I don't want to play a game and then dislike it because it's a waste of my time. Yeah. But I don't want to like it so much that I'm like, I need it now. <laughs> uh, which, to be fair, from what I'm reading, I think that's what's going to happen, that I will like it, not necessarily adore it. Um, because it has mixing of of elements from straight up Euro and not that that we'll see how it goes. Have you played? Uh, I'm I'm I promise I'm trying to 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 be done with this. But have <laughs> you have you played any of the Chronicles of Crime, the new ones? No. Did you not, did you back it? Not the new ones. The the newest ones. No, I've played. Um, I played Noir. Noir, I think. Oh. Did you back the new ones? No. Oh, scandal. It's very good. It's very good. Okay, we need, okay. To, we need to mark this day, though. 3-20-21. As a day we discovered a Kickstarter that Nathan did not back. Well, I think if we go back in time, like, we, we are figuring out that you didn't back them. When we find a 2021 Kickstarter that you didn't back, <laughs> I want it to be marked. I want it to be noticed. Well, I think it's you You go on things of a certain level. Like there are a bunch of, sure, they were looking for $40,000 and they got 70 that you don't back. Mm-hmm. Is the, oh, wait, oh, wait, these people are doing serious business. I need to be part of that. <laughs> like a high level investor. Like, sure, I can pass on the penny stock, but I will not let Tesla pass me by or something like that. <laughs> yes. So. In conclusion, that brings us to our topic of the day, which is names of board games. So I was actually really happy when you suggested this topic because I think that board game names have a lot of things to talk about. Good, bad, controversial names, perhaps, long names. I have so many things to discuss. So what would you like to talk about? Uh, we can start wherever you want. I think that um, names function on three levels for me. There is first a uh, recognizing of the name. Like if I hear um, a game, I want to be able to track it down, to remember it. Uh, and the name obviously provides that. Going by, especially now that there are so many games, going by, well, that game about those fighters that are knights and have... <laughs> castles would not help much, right? If I don't remember Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Right. But there is also obviously a looking for it, like before when I was asking you for the spelling. If you need to ask it in a store, you need not just to know the name, but the name that can be looked for. And obviously there is the factor of 
inspiration. Sometimes you hear a name and it provides you with some flavor, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, that goes in with with the, the choice of the name, the, whether the name is long or short. So uh, I think there are different levels at which names interact with us. Let's start with whatever you want. Which which aspect fascinates you the most? All right, so I'm gonna. I would like to talk about what are some of the games that are the hardest to remember or pronounce. So Shasen, which we just discussed, is a little difficult to pronounce. So that is one that I thought was you know in the running for for difficulty. But the ones that take the cake for me personally are the GIF project. Oh yeah. <laughs> So those are by Chris Berm from Rio Grande Games. So I actually looked up, uh, I did some research, <laughs> and um, allegedly the project is named from the German word for mountain summit, which is Gipfel. I don't, I, I apologize, I don't speak German, um, but that's allegedly what it's from and the gif project has the game gif in it g-i-p-f um and then they have multiple other ones that came out in um the project which are one vowel and four consonants in each except for one um but it is yinch dvan zertz link punkt and Tamsk, which was eventually removed from the series. Um, yes, quite the scandal, really. And <laughs> replaced by uh, Czar, which does not follow the one vowel four consonant rule. But I was just interested in, in, in that and how the names came about. I couldn't find any further information other than the one about Gipf, but yes. So the first thing I need to say is that I have nothing to do with this, um, meaning I have never touched one of these games and I will never do it. Really? Um, yeah. If I need to play an abstract, I can play chess or I can play Onitama. Um, <laughs> I have zero interest in this. Uh, it, I know I have friends who love abstract games. They are not not for me. I I don't see the need to 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 abstract. I like full-fledged dimensions and not not this need for a section. But beside that, I don't understand the choice of going with these um, hard-to-remember names. Because, yeah, sure, there is an origin, and maybe Jif himself uh, was, was easier. I don't know if to, to Germans they sound easy, I know a little German, and I would say no. For example, inch is clearly not a German word, I think. Uh, maybe now someone can prove me wrong, but I don't <laughs> think, I really don't think that's the case. And I wonder if this is a, a remainder of when games were particularly niche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, sure, you would knowing the name and knowing the thing was part of the experience of this. We're playing these, I guess, very smart games. uh, And we are smart and the games are smart. The title is smart and knowing the title is already part of the experience. 
If not, that's at least definitely what the vibe that they give me. What what do you do you like these very strange names? <laughs> um so as far as the game itself is, I really like Yinch. It's the only one of out of all of them that I own. I've actually played all of them um, mm-hmm. at Gen Con. because uh, there is a Rio Grande Games room and I had wanted to try out the new Dominion, which was everyone was there for the new Dominion. Um so these tables looked free, so we went and learned these and played them. Um, and you're shaking your head like... <laughs> there's I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. So, but we went and learned these, and um, Yinch, I actually really appreciated. Um, it's checkers, but kind of has like an area control element, because you're not area control, but... I mean a little bit of area control because you're trying to um, put your rings in a specific way to block an, an opponent's movements while trying to get a pattern of yours in a row. And it's, I really like it. That's the, the one that actually made like a lasting impression with me. Interestingly enough, though, I couldn't remember the name. After we, we left the room, I was like, what was that game? And we had to go back later in that Gen Con to like actually go look at it it and I took a picture because I was like I will not remember this so that was the only one that I own but yeah it's it's I don't like that the names are not intuitive yeah and I think that extends to games that I really really like for example now that has had so much success that we forget how weird it is but take Solkin Solkin is spelled T-Z-O-L-K apostrophe I-N. And then it has the Mayan calendar. But the the main title, it's Solkin. And again, that has been successful, that has been sold and featured, etc. But it's a very non-accessible name. And there is part of it about, well, because it's not a Western name, right? And first of all, I, I come from the perspective that games that are weird in English are not necessarily weird to me, but there are some games that even when they come from Italian or something like that, can look like you went for a purposely unaccessible name. For example, take the difference if instead of calling it Solki, they had called it uh, the Mayan calendar, or even, I know it's a different culture, I know it's uh, Incan, but when, for example, Tawantin Suyu, Take the difference between calling a game Tawantin Suyu or calling it Machu Picchu. Both go to Incan things Mm -hmm. and they are original to the Incan culture and you're not using a description, etc. But one of them is much more accessible to European and North American markets without being less authentic. Like Machu Picchu is very much Incan and people more or less know, if not exactly how it's spelled, at least they recognize it. Tawantin Suyu, it's hard to, to spell, how to pronounce, people don't connect to it. And I think sometimes there is an intention to, like, like in academic naming of books, there is a point of, well, Tawantin Suyu is the original name of this thing and you should learn the spelling. And again, I do understand the interest for other cultures, but I have the same weirdness when uh, games come out named in Italian, straight out Italian for the English market. 
I don't understand the going for the look, you should know how to pronounce this. This is exotic and difficult. Um, and I don't, I don't think, I don't understand that. Like one thing is name, at least Amontisuyu is the name of a place, but again, Tolkien with, with the apostrophe, also because Tolkien is a translation, it's a tra- transliteration. It's the Spanish transliteration of uh, an, uh, a native name. So it's not like you are being true to what? To steal your your Western perspective. So I think sometimes the the excuse of localization makes for, uh, sorry, of original names from a location makes from games for names that are as weird and inaccessible as the one in the GIF series. So the fact that Inch, I don't know exactly what it means, but it's not maybe a, a place, and that instead Tawanting Suyu was the capital, doesn't make it an, any different to me. There are still names that are on purpose meant to... Uh, I guess the hope is that you will notice because it's so different. I guess. It, it pays the service to, to... Like, I have mentioned talking to people were not in board games from time to time. And there are zero chances that someone will be able to to find the game without asking me again or something like that. While if I tell them, well, you know, you should try a game that is called Orlean or that is called Merlin or that is called, I don't know, Abyss, they might remember it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they won't, but at least there is a chance. Terramara, again, Terramara to me is easy to pronounce, makes sense, I know what it is, although I, I know it as Terramare, but not the game, the, the concept. Mm-hmm. But wh- why? Why go with the name that is so not particularly evocative because it's not a famous thing? I I don't get it. I don't get obscure name. So moving to the the opposite end of the spectrum... Generic games, generic names for games. Very, very plain. Games that you will also not be able to find, not because they are too specific and you don't remember how to spell them, but the one that came to my mind was The Game. Yes! Yes! The game called The Game. And I encourage everyone to go to Board Game Geek and type in The Game and not find the actual game called The Game. Uh, <laughs> so that is from Stefan uh, Bendorf from Pandasaurus. And I I like the game. It's fine. It's not, you know, it's not... I, I don't know. I wish it was... It just had a little something. Um, I mean, and now they've released different versions of it, like Head to Head and On Fire or something. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, it's a little easier to find, but the base version that originally came out was the game, which I'm sure in like playtesting came up. Like, <laughs> do you want to play the game? Which game? The game. The game. Oh yeah, the game. The game. <laughs> and again, I think it's a marketing tool, right? Of oh look, it's just called the game, but then it. First of all, it seems to be oblivious to the fact that we live in a digitalized world uh, because 
30 years ago, you go to a shop and either it's on those shelves or not. But now try to find it on BGG, on Amazon, on a, uh, on a Google search. You Google the game, that won't come out. You Google Blood Rage, there is a good chance that that comes up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah, I think there are a few examples as blatant as, um, as the game. I think that also applies, though, to games that try too much to be clever for the opposite reason. Like, there was a game called Deck Builder. Um, <laughs> and that was a, a deck builder about building decks. I wonder if these other instances are, they are not even trying to reach a general populace. They are like, okay, we'll sell our thousand copies to people on BGG that have a chuckle about out of it that we will sell another couple at the convention and be done with it. Um, a niche market. I, yeah. Yeah. But the point is that I don't know. I find that when you're making a game, I have, I have an holistic approach to judging a game, right? I have never been one of those that say, well, a game is like a guy from a podcast that I listen to he likes games art so much that he often says, well, I don't care if the game is good or not. I want it because of the art. And that's a little rare, but it's, the, the opposite is very common. Oh, I don't care if the game is ugly. I just care that it plays well. And for me, neither of those is acceptable. I, I look at the game as an holistic process. I want it to be something that I engage with, with my mind. Uh, with my experience, but also with my eyes. So just like I wouldn't go watch a movie that is very good, even if uh, the colors are off, the acting is bad, but the story is good, I wouldn't go watch it, right? Um, and the same with the game. I need everything to be fine. And maybe the, the title doesn't impact me as much. I feel like I could stand a bad title, mm-hmm. um, either because, again, I don't think, for example, that well, Tolkien is is better for a different reason, but it's still evocative to me. But um, I think that choosing a name should be part of your what are you trying to build here, right? Um, and that's why the fact that Euros for so long relied on just uh, a title of a city, and I think you can see it also in, in Feld, Already, the castles of Burgundy is a different title than Macau. When you say Macau, am I thinking casinos? Am I thinking colonialism? Am I thinking nothing, right? Because Macau is basically a themeless game. Um, (laughs) I like the game a lot, but the title communicates nothing. Already, the castles of Burgundy at least tells you that you have a space, right? You're not just build, you're not really building a castle, but you're you can see yourself expanding for your castle and conquering things around your castle. And I think that the fact that for so long we've been used to names like Bruges and Orleans, to name two na- games that I love, they are both excellent games, but the names are just whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Sure, Bruges also has canals. Yeah, because no other city in the world has canals. Or Orléans. Oh, you're moving around Orléans. Oh, it could be wherever. And you're traveling wherever from wherever, right? And I feel that... And that extends to so many games that I like. Uh, Lorenzo, again, could be whatever. Um, Newton. 
why why Newton and not whomever does whatever. Um, there are the, yeah, there are the games that try to be to be um, better at that. Um, like I feel Merlin is another game that the theme could be applied to other things, but is not completely generic, right? And all of the art supports, um, and it's still a, throughout Euro, so you're not doing anything. Um, but to stay on games too smart for their for the good, <laughs> Latinisms, Praga Caputregni, <laughs> or Caputregni, if you want to go with a more classical pronunciation, but pa- Praga Caputregni, Praga, capital of the kingdom. So the meaning already is not particularly fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be Praga. Y- you know it's going to be Praga. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as it's not the new thing that is out, people will refer to it as Praga. And you are using this Latin expression to to show that you are smart. And think from the same designer how more charming and more interesting Underwater cities is of the yes. name. Yes. Uh, same person, so same level of smartness, right? It's not like it, <laughs> it got cleverer, it got smarter uh, between one game and the other. And I wonder what kind of marketing process goes into it or development process that you go from such a different name from Underwater cities to Praga Caputregni mm-hmm. or oh, not the other Praga. Or not the Praga without the Latin name. Oh, okay, you're meaning that Praga, the Praga with, the, with the, the, the royal title in Latin. Oh, I understand. That completely changes our understanding of the game. I don't get it. I don't get it. So, and then what about uh, names that really evoke the feeling of the game? For me, I like Not Alone, which... We, we were talking about how, like, oh, these are, you know, just little little titles or whatever. But th- this completely summarizes the whole feeling of the game. Because it's a 1v many game where one person is the um, alien life form trying to interact with these people who crashed on their planet. And it just sort of evokes this feeling of, like, oh no, like I, I gotta try and, and be by myself and I gotta get, you know, the the things to get the ship back and, and get off this planet and but you're not alone. Not alone. So <laughs> it I really like that name. That one just kind of stuck out in my mind. Is there anything that you like? Yes. That? Yes, I really like the one that you backed recently, So You Have Been Eaten. Again, <laughs> interesting, different. And then there are, I think that conflict games are often good at that, like Blood Rage, Cry Havoc, Cthulhu Wars, all of those. It's, it's, they, they, or the horror games like uh, Arkham Horror. If you know anything about Lovecraft, Arkham Horror is already telling you something mm-hmm. uh, in the Cthulhu mythos and all of that. I like games that evoke what you're doing in the game. Flick them up. Uh, I like yeah. because it immediately you know that you're flicking. Um, I like games with exclamation points uh, because they, <laughs> like they charge you. But I think that games that are evocative of what you're doing or what you're supposed to be doing. For example, Abyss, 
I like the name, I like the game. I think when I hear Abyss or when I heard it the first time, I, I thought it had some darker darker connotation, right? Sure. Um, it's not just, just in the depth, but with something like lurking in the shadow or something like that. And it's not, but it's, it's fine. It is if you have the Kraken expansion. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. But it's also that I, growing up, I watched the, the movie The Abyss, which is uh, John Carpenter's aliens on the bottom of the of the ocean so very different feeling i think that you're absolutely right games that can be positive and that evoke something um, strange i like also games that are evocative but play with with the title uh, and but keeping in mind that people need to be able to to understand what they're talking about i'm thinking of for example ultimate warriors it's a very clever name because it makes it clear that it's not taking itself so too serious, right? It's it's a fun and fast game. Uh, it has one letter different, which is the last one, and is a Z. And you will remember it if you see the game and you like it. Oh, Ultimate Warriors, okay, and not Ultimate Warriors. Um, similar, uh, I which straddles into the maybe the line of maybe too clever for its own good, but. It zeroed. Uh, uh-huh. um, I don't know. For me, it fell on the. Oh, I remember the title. It's it's clever. It changes one one word in that case, but very very clear, and it plays onto a familiar expression. I don't know if someone else got lost and looked for it the road and didn't find it, or it zombie road and didn't find it. But for me, that worked. And another one that I think is very very clever um, cannot be particularly evocative because you don't know what it is about, but is Abracadawat or Abracawat. I wrote that down too. And I think uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, first go check it out. If you like light games, uh, don't go from Tolkien to Abracawat. But it's a game of guessing uh, what you have in front of you. It's like a competitive Anabi, basically. Um and you are trying to to activate different powers, but you don't know what you have in front of you. And it's about basically wizards that are quite confused. And so the name is Abraka or Abrakada, which clearly refers to the, to the magic of, of tales and children. And what? With the question mark. And so the graphic is fine. I, I think in most versions, it also has dots between, mm-hmm. uh, between the, the Abraka and the what. And... Again, that might not be super easy to find, but at least it immediately gives you a memorable impression. Maybe not memorable enough that you can write it down, but it's not boring and is not smart to the pretentious level, as many of the games that I like are. So the reason why I wrote that down is because I do like that it lets you know exactly what's happening because it's it evokes this the feeling of magic, because it's the magic word. And then it also has the confusion, because the a lot of the game is confusing, because you're trying to cast these spells, but you don't actually know what's in front of you. So I feel like that one is really good at evoking both the feeling and the sort of confusion of the game. Um, another one that I thought that I like even though we, you said Deck Builders was too obvious. This one is slightly less obvious, but still a little play on words, and it's Draftosaurus. Oh, I love it. I love and so it, you know exactly what you're doing. You have dinosaurs, and you're drafting. 
Um, and that's the whole game. Well, I mean, more or less. You're also placing them on a board and trying to score the most points. Um, and it's from Antoine Bauza and a few other designers from uh, Ankama. And it's a lot of fun. It's very quick. And if we were playing it right now, we could probably have played it in the time that I've been talking about it. So <laughs> it's it's a fun, quick game and uh, very charming. I love the game. Really like the title. I wonder, um, again, what the effect of the title is. For example, I'm sure that if I wanted to tell my sister to get it, I would have to write it down in, in a message. I couldn't just on the phone tell her, oh, look for a game called Draftosaurus. She would forget about it the second she puts down the phone because to me, draft is immediately evident. And okay, and maybe there is a space for games that play on, on those titles, right? Uh, I hope Draftosaurus does very good because I want the expansions to come to the US. So <laughs> I cert- they should be out already and they're not. Um, I want to ask you, what about a game like the one we were talking about before, Miawi? <laughs> I feel like it's it's very charming, but again... It was frustrating for me um, because... Well, it is frustrating for me because... So last time when you talked about it, I had to ask you for the spelling. And then this time when you started talking about it, I was like, oh, I'm going to look it up so I can like see the images and stuff. Couldn't find it. I was like, I can't find it still. And then I, and then, so I had to actually go to the designer after you had said the designer's name, I did go to the designer's page and then find it because I could not remember at all how to spell it because it's not, it should have been meow and an I, if that's what, I mean, it's less obvious what kind it's of. It's French. Uh, I think they kept the title, but again, that goes back into Sure, you're playing on a fun title, but in a world where I I read somewhere that 80 games come out every week in the English market. And so sometimes maybe being a little less smart and a little more recognizable. So take, for example, I mentioned it already, Blood Rage, not only as a great title, uh, which gives immediately the the idea of ah fighting etc <laughs> but also think of how more accessible it is that if they had called it mjolnir the mythical hammer of thor even if thor is popular because of uh, of marvel and all of that but there are so many fancy names for example the old version well not the old version but the game that inspired blood rage what's called midgard and Midgard at least is easy to, to, to spell, although is Midgard without a U, obviously it's not Midgard, it's Midgard. Um, but already Blood Rage, everyone who hears it can memorize it. Oh, it's about Vikings and they are blood raging. Okay, I can spell it, I can write it down, I can find it. And that's that counts, that must count for something. Um, there are so many games that I like that the names drive me insane. Rayatea. Every time I mention Rayatel to someone, I have to spell it because it's it's not a word that means anyone anything to anyone. And sure, I understand that you are doing it because you are inspired by a different culture with respect, but there are ways to be inspired by a different culture that you respect and using names that are accessible. Either they are more recognizable or that you go with a more descriptive title. Like if Tolkien had been called the Mayan calendar and just the Mayan calendar, that wouldn't mean that you don't respect the culture, that you don't care about the culture or anything. It would be 
the same. And I feel that sometimes there is like the Stauffer dynasty. Mm-hmm. I like the game, but come on, what's what's going on with that name? Um, <laughs> and strong enough, I I look forward to the game, but it sounds like the recipe. And sure, I know it was the name of a family, but there must have been other things that you care about. Like what if you had to call it Siberia mm-hmm. or, or the Tundra or something? Um, and to me, to me, these things work. I, I like 19th century literature. So uh, everything that, that evokes a feeling of that setting works for me. But in the larger scheme of things, it, it feels that often with things like Stauffer Dynasty or Tolkien or the game for different reasons, but sometimes it feels that designers or marketers, I don't know who, who chooses, want to feel a little too smart for their own good. <laughs> you you should prove that you're smart through the excellence of your design, not necessarily through a game that, oh, it's a pun, or it's a complicated thing to spell, or look, I know how to spell, and I now know how to spell the one thing to you, I guess. Um, <laughs> sure, good for me, I can get to a spelling bee and, and beat the five-year-old. Um <laughs> I mean, it will give me satisfaction. Don't let me ro- get me wrong. Especially, especially, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe they are stuffing them out with the, with the, with the sweet candy bar that I don't like. Something <laughs> like that. And you can go like, oh, I know how to spell Tawantin you, don't you? Um, and they go like, meowy. And he said, well, I don't even know how that spell. That doesn't count. Um, a spelling bee for gamers. That would be that would be fun. Um, but yeah. I I prefer to focus on on games that uh, that inspire me, that make me feel like I'm going to have fun. Yeah. Uh, escape, survive, uh, things like that. Um, with or without exclamation point. Another thing that I wanted to touch briefly on um, was names. So two things: same same names that have different endings or different beginnings. So first. Um, the different beginnings are like games like Champions of Midgard, Reavers of Midgard, um, Margraves of Valeria, uh, Raiders of the North Sea, Architects of the West Kingdom, Paladins of the West Kingdom, all, all of those. So um, I don't mind those. I think that it's smart because you know exactly what you're getting into. You know the world that it's being set in and the kind of feeling that you're going to get from the different series. So how do you feel about those? I absolutely agree. I feel that um, the way the West Kingdom does it or the North Sea is smarter than the Valyria or the Midgard because it takes all words that are common, like of the North Sea, of the West Kingdom, they are evocative, but they don't take centerpiece. So that when you talk about paladins and viscounts and raiders and architects, end of the West Kingdom, right? It goes like it's clear it's, they're in the same series, but it's something simpler. With the Midgard or with the Valyria, with the fact that they are not as common words, they tend to draw the attention to that. So, for example, I found that people go, oh, wait, which one is villages of Valyria and which one is... Um, is Margraves and which one is Kingdoms, 
because Valeria is the part that stands out because it's a made-up word. And so I think that's a little bit of a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, the though, that, that style of using something to show that they are in the same series. Um, back in the day, Fantasy Flight used to do it with the word rune. There was rune-bound, rune-age, rune-wars, mm-hmm. and there were different games in the same universe. They moved away from that, which I think was a good good idea because the words those were compound words right they were a part of the words and i find it cleaner but i find that being able to say yeah paladins and viscounts and architects and even if i live out of the west kingdom you know what i'm talking about but the fact that they are of the west kingdom means that you know that they are in the same series it's it's smart it would be a little harder if there were other games that had succeeded with that name. For example, there was the Queen's Architect or something like that. If there was a game, a successful game called Architects, that would be a problem for Architects of the West Kingdom because at that point it becomes a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it stands, I really like it. The other ones that I wanted to talk about were the same names but different endings. So things like Brass, which has two versions, Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham, or Pandemic, which I had to screenshot (laughs) because there are so, so many Pandemics. The different legacy ones, On the Brink, Reign of Cthulhu, Iberia, The Care, In the Lab, Fall of Rome, Contagion, State of Emergency, Rising Tide, Rapid Response, Hot Zone. So yeah, lots of those. Uh, And then the different escapes. So Escape uh, Zombie City, Escape 100 Million BC, Escape Curse of the Temple. Um, And then also the Unlock series. So Unlock, what have you, the different Unlock games that are available. Um, For me, I don't particularly like the Pandemic way that they do it because they really aren't the same games they have a similar feeling but i don't feel like they should all be titled pandemic because then it gets muddy trying to remember which one was which and all that um the escape and the unlock i don't mind because escape it gives you that feeling, you know exactly what you're trying to do, you you know what the unlocks, exactly what you're trying to do, and they're necessary, so that way you have, you know, what the, the games are about. But as far as Pandemic and Brass, Brass, I don't, I've only played one of the versions, so I can't really speak on, you know, multiple versions of the same game. Um, but the Pandemics, like I said, I don't think that they all should have been titled Pandemic, this, 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 you know? So with Brass, I mean, I know it's a very different level of of game, but I feel uh, like I feel about Ticket to Ride. It's perfectly fine. There are basically different maps, and sure, there are a few rules that are different, but the gameplay experience is very consistent. If you're playing uh, Ticket to Ride Europe, you have to care about stations that you don't have in the basic game, but you're still drawing a card and playing the card to connect places. And the same with Brass. Different places, different interactions, but you're still collecting resources, delivering, building the, the route, etc. I haven't played enough of the Pandemic ones. Uh, the, I think that the problem with the Pandemic is that it expanded in both directions. 
meaning there are pandemic and pandemic legacy and pandemic the cure, which is basically the dice game, um, and pandemic contagion, which is a card game that has nothing to do with the rest. But if they had moved only vertically in that direction, it would be fine. Or vice versa, if they had moved only horizontally, okay, you have pandemic, and then you have pandemic Iberia, where you have a few different rules, and then you have pandemic Catullo, where you have... The fact that they did both is a little confusing, meaning that, oh, wait, is pand- now they have also the legacy. So pandemic legacy was pandemic-like legacy, but then there is pandemic legacy season two, and then there is pandemic legacy season zero, which is not about pandemic, it's about spies. Right. Uh, but you also have pandemic Iberia, and you have pandemic uh, with Cthulhu, and I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on it because I've played very few of them. I have played only Pandemic and Pandemic The Cure uh-huh. and a little bit of Pandemic Legacy. But I do feel that I don't know, am I going for the feeling of the game? Especially with a game where I don't think that the setting is what draws people to Pandemic. I think that uh, it's not like someone goes, I really want to play a game about a disease. Is that <laughs> it's a good game because that a good team. I'm not a big fan, but I can see the allure of, of that, that kind of procedural call. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I don't know if people who like Matt Leacock design maybe just want more of the same. They know, well, it's named Pandemic, and I know that I will like it because I've tried so many of them that are familiar enough that I get more and more and more, a little bit like we, I know that the West Kingdom, I, I wasn't surprised that I like Viscount. So maybe that that pandemic part is like the Viscounts for us. Uh, so the, the West Kingdom yeah. for us. There are, there, are, there are a few things to be said about, oh, I know that as long as, uh, as I buy in this, in this line, I know that I will like it. Yeah. And then the last thing I briefly mentioned uh, was the most controversial. And the most controversial game title is Camel Up. Because, (laughs) and that is because of graphic design on the first edition of the game. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please look it up. The C encompassed both the area where it says Camel and Up. So... I had learned it as Camel Cup. I will always call it Camel Cup because you are in a race and you are... I I see the reason for both of the the ways it is worded. Um, as it was re-skinned, uh, it is clearly Camel Up, um, but it has been many a topic around a gaming, gaming table, let me tell you. I am... In the camp of it should be Camel Cup, I strongly feel it should be. I also realize that I have given up. Ha, <laughs> given up. And I now call it Camel Up. It was clearly Camel Cup on the cover. I think there is no no doubt about it. It was a very clever thing, actually, yeah. that this big C that this was used for both words. But apparently it was only a fortunate coincidence of graphic design. It's now officially Camel Up. I mean, it was already official Camel Up. <laughs> it's now also very, very clear. And we, you, you shall be missed, Camel Cup. <laughs> because it's a cup. It, they, they, they compete in a cup, like <laughs> the Champions League and the, 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 the yes. things like that. Yes. 
So I think that brings us to the end of our topic. Um, so I think in summary, what we're looking for in names uh, are if they're searchable and what kind of feeling that they give. Um, so I think that really summarizes what we're looking for, particularly in, in our board game names. So designers take note. <laughs> um, but on that note, um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing, liking, sharing, and posting on any of our social media sites, be it Instagram or, uh, Facebook, or even on BGG. Uh, there's a site, a spot dedicated to our podcast, uh, Board Game Gambit at all of those different places. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, if you think we dogged out one of <laughs> your favorite uh, games with their name, feel free to tell us. Uh, but as always, I'm Nathan. And I'm Jackie. And uh, thank you for listening. Obviously, if you think Nathan is wrong, feel free to write. <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'll still take it. Um, I know I'm wrong. Uh, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah.